Welcome to On the Way with Tony Chris. Each weekday, Dr. Chris will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Chris. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 185. This week, we are looking at understanding the Bible, really committing ourselves to Bible study and doing it on a regular basis, on a daily basis. And what I'm going to do over the course of the next few days is try to help give you some tools and some mechanics that will help you to understand the Bible better. And remember, the reason that we study the Bible is not so we can just gain more knowledge about who God is. Certainly, we want to do that. We want to learn more about what He's done for us, of course. But the reason that we study is so that we can know Him and know Him better. That's what the purpose of Bible study is, not to just gain knowledge. But once we know more knowledge and we know God better and we know his heart, we're going to learn that that means that we need to share what we know with others. And we start with our own spouse and with our immediate family, our children, our grandchildren, and then we spread out in our concentric circles, those that are around us that we have influence with, and we begin to share with them. And it's amazing how God spreads our influence. And so I pray that you'll take to heart what I've been talking to you about, and that the whole purpose of life is to love God with the totality of our being, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. That's the greatest thing any man can do. And it is what God expects of us, especially those of us who know him in a personal way. And then it is to turn around and to love others. This is what Jesus said. And then we disciple people. We train people. We teach people. And we teach them to be obedient. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, the more we know about him, the more we love him. And I pray that Jesus is precious to you. But let's get back to the idea of Bible study. Yesterday, I talked to you about assumptions. The Bible is filled with assumptions, all kinds of assumptions, cultural assumptions. In other words, the Bible writers believed that the people knew the culture of that day. Because we don't know it and because we are Western in our mindset, many times we look over some of the great teachings of the Bible. And it's not just to make the Bible more contextually friendly to us. Sometimes it adds texture to the text. It adds color and shades and nuances that we could not see apart from knowing the language, knowing the history, the geography, the culture. Let me just give you some examples of that from the standpoint of just geography and cultural context. Many times when people read the Sermon on the Mount, it gives great concern because people read it and they read it out of context. They try to make it say what really they would want it to say or what they think it says from our mindset. Just look, if you would, with me in Matthew chapter 5. Just take, for instance, after Jesus has been talking about believers being salt, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, speak highly of your Father who is in heaven, not you, that you're a great soul and how good you are and how generous you are. But we've got to tell them why we're doing what we're doing. That is, we need to shine the light on the Father, not on us. But look at what it says. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, that is a great saying in itself, but it's a kind of a black and white saying, unless you know the historical geographical context. If you're ever in Israel with me, and those of you who have gone with me, you know exactly where we take you to to show you this truth as to geographically where this happened. It's just above Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee, actually above the Sea of Galilee. Anywhere you go from the face of the lake of the Sea of Galilee, you're going uphill. Why? Because the Sea of Galilee is geographically 600 and almost 700 feet below sea level, the level of the Mediterranean. And so you always go up into a mountain. It doesn't matter which direction you go except due north or due south, which is the Jordan Rift Valley. And so if you go east or you go west, which is where people lived, then you are going to be going up. So Jesus went up on a mountain just above Capernaum, which was his headquarters. And that's what the historical context of the Bible would lead us to believe. And it's interesting that just above Capernaum is what we would call an amphitheater, which is a misnomer. Actually, it's a theater styled embankment geographically. You see, an amphitheater is really an arena. Amphi means both. And so it means two circles. It would be what we would call an arena. But a theater is what we would call an amphitheater. And so Jesus went up the mountain, and it is a steep climb. And the people would have sat down on the bank. His back would have been to the lake, not on top of the mountain and the people down below him and him speaking down to them. No, he would have been like on a stage. It's a natural stage just above Capernaum. And it's carved into the side of the hill by nature. It is looking directly across the lake, and it's interesting that just across the lake in the direction that the people would have been facing, and Jesus would have had his back to the lake and to this place I'm about to name, there was a city that was set on a hill, literally perched on a hill, a very steep hill, directly in their view. Every night, those who lived in Capernaum could see this city, even those that lived up and down the western shore would have looked across and seen one of the 10 cities of the Decapolis called Hippus because it looked like a horse and that's a horse's back and that's what Hippus means. In Latin it is Susida, in Greek Hippus. But they would have looked across and have seen that great Roman city every night when the lamps would be lit. 
You could not hide the city. Now, fog and weather might have obscured the view of it, but on a clear night, they would watch it, and it would light up every night. And so they were very familiar with that. Now, some would say it would have been Sfat, Safed, Safed. It's pronounced all different ways. In Hebrew, the word is Sfat, which is a city up on the western hills behind Capernaum. But the fact is, when you're in Capernaum, you would not be looking to the west you would be looking toward the lake. That's the way everyone builds their houses, and that's where you look. And across the lake, you could have seen this city every night. And so Jesus, we don't know because, you see, the Bible doesn't tell us everything. That's why I said every Bible writer from Moses to John assumed that the people knew these things. But the Bible is not a a movie script either. It doesn't say, enter stage right, enter stage left. Jesus pointed here. He nodded his head here. Sometimes Sometimes it does, but rarely does it do that. And certainly here, Jesus, with his back to the lake up on this hill, with the people looking at the lake and looking across the lake, and most of them being from the western part of the lake, would every night have recognized what Jesus was saying. And he said, you are the light of the world. You're like that city set on the hill across the lake. It cannot be hidden. You don't light a lamp and then put a basket over it. No, the whole purpose of lighting the lamp and being a light is so that it can shine. He said, therefore, let your light so shine. Now, this is not some great in-depth passage, but once you're there and you see the geography and you see the culture and the context of it, then all of a sudden, it's not just black and white. It's color. And those who have gone, you know exactly what I'm saying. It's like now you say, ah, now that makes sense. Oh, now I see. Oh, Jesus just took things right around him and made them come alive. Exactly right. When Jesus said that. It's in these same hills that Jesus said when the disciples came and the people came and said, we want to follow you wherever you go. Jesus knew that they didn't really understand what they were saying, which they didn't most of the time. And so Jesus said unto them, oh, you want to follow me? About that time, he pointed to foxholes, no doubt. They'll scatter across those Galilean hills. He said, if you're going to follow me, you understand that every fox has a hole to go to. But if you follow me, you may not even have a den to live in. And no doubt about that time, a flock of birds flew above his head. And he said, you see those birds of the air, every one of them has a nest to go to at night. But if you follow me, like you say you want to, you may not have anywhere to lay down your head because of me, not because of your laziness, but because of me. You see, this gives discipleship a whole new meaning. To follow Jesus doesn't mean everything's going to go well. Let me ask you something. If you lost your home and you really had to take a stand for Jesus and you lost your home and you lost your job and you lost your entrance into grad school, would you still be willing to follow Jesus? This is why the prophets would often say in different ways, though the stall be empty. 
though the dew not form, though I not have anything, still I will praise you and follow you. You see, discipleship is more than just making a profession of faith and being baptized and going to church when it's convenient. Have you noticed that the Bible is filled with a call to commitment, a call to perseverance, a call to go beyond what everyone else is doing? Well, Jesus did that over and over again. He used the things right around him to challenge things that people, when he said things, they knew what he was talking about. When you look, for instance, in Later in the chapter, not just the early part after the Beatitudes about salt and light, but Matthew chapter 5, verses 39, and all the way through several passages, uh, Jesus talked about being smitten on the right cheek, which was a symbol of humility and of shame and of slander. And he said, don't trade slander for slander. And everyone knew when he said, if you smite someone on the right cheek, that he's talking about a backhand. As a matter of fact, there was a special fine in Jewish life and in Jewish culture for someone who backhanded someone else because it was an insult. You weren't going to really kill anybody or hurt anyone or break anyone's jaw. But what you were going to do is you were going to shame them and insult them. There was a special fine for that in Jewish life. What I'm saying to you is Jesus said, don't trade insult for insult. He didn't say, as many are saying today, well, you just need to lie down like a dog and let somebody walk on you and you never need to defend yourself and you never need to take anyone to court. You never need to seek justice. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't trade insult for insult. That's exactly what he said. And he used color of the cultural context and the biblical mandates to do that. When he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that doesn't mean when someone knocks out your tooth that you must, under God, knock out their tooth. You must retaliate. Or when someone knocks out your eye, you don't have to knock out their eye. Well, the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's not what it's talking about. This is prohibitive. What God was saying, because he knew and told Moses, look, I know the human heart. I know how sinful it is. Someone knocks a tooth out, you want to take their head off. If someone knocks your eye out, you want to kill them. And he said, no, there's a prohibition, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There has to be justice. And so on and on, these are cultural assumptions that everyone knew. And so we have to be taught these assumptions. We have to research. We have to study. And that takes time. And you see, a lot of people don't want to study the Word of God because it takes time, not just months. It takes years. And we're a microwave generation. We want everything yesterday. And to take time and study and to grow. To grow takes time and to mature takes time. You can't just say, okay, now I've been saved, I've been born again, and I want to be totally mature tomorrow. As a matter of fact, there have been at least five men that have come to me in Israel after a tour 
and have said, I want you to teach me everything you know just as quickly as possible. Can we start meeting once a week for a year? Well, that's somewhat insulting, but I know what they meant. That's about all that I know I could teach them in that time for sure. But the fact is, it is much more than that. It's taken me to learn what I have learned. It may take you half the time, but it's taken me 46 years so far. I preached a five-hour message at the last church that I pastored on New Year's Eve. I started at 7, and with a 10-minute break, I ended a little before midnight so we could pray in the new year. But I preached for five hours the Crimson River through the Bible and just hit the highlights of the great story of God. After that was over with, a visitor came to me and he said, I tell you, that was one of the greatest messages I've ever heard in my life. I was not bored the whole way through. And how long did it take you to prepare such a message as that, a five-hour message? I said, so far, 43 years. Because you see, you just don't do that overnight. And so as you study the Bible, understand that there are historical, cultural, geographical, and theological assumptions that are made by Jesus and all of the apostles. Same thing's true with Moses, and same thing's true with all of the writers of the Old Testament. So I hope this is helpful. Tomorrow we're going to take another step and talk about really another mechanic of how to understand basically the Word of God. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.